0: Yes. Welcome
1: to the Wildlife Guardians podcast on All About Animals Radio. We are a show dedicated to the advocacy of wildlife everywhere with a focus on lesser known endangered species. Hi, I'm Erica Salvamini and Jeff Harrison and I are honored to be your hosts representing All About Animals Radio, a platform dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. We hope you enjoy this episode and share our podcast with all of your animal-loving friends. And now, on to the show. All
0: right. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the Wildlife Guardian podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Harrison, uh, flying solo today. Erica will be joining us on the next one. Uh, but today we have uh, a guest joining us uh, from the UK, uh, Mr. Simon Jones, the founder of Helping Rhinos. Um Back in March of 2012, Simon split from a 24-year career in the corporate world and founded Helping Rhinos. Um, Under Simon's leadership, Helping Rhinos has become a major conservation organization, protecting rhinos and all the wild spaces where they live. He's also solidified partnerships with some of the world's leading rhino conservation uh, organizations and set up offices in the UK, the US, and in Europe we'll hear more about this here in a few minutes. Uh Simon, welcome and thank you for taking the time to meet with me.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for a very nice introduction. Um pleasure to be here and and talking to all of your your viewers and listeners.
0: I I like uh, our similar uh backgrounds there. <laughs> yeah, there's
1: a rhino theme, isn't there? <laughs>
0: for, sure. for sure. So Simon, you and I have worked together for little over six years now, uh, when I started peddling against poaching and had, had reached out to helping rhinos who, um, was actually, it was a helping rhinos posting on social media that got me involved. Um, so it, you know, it, and I've, I've talked about the, the story about peddling against poaching, but I think one of the, the overall statements I, I want the takeaways I want people to have is to to realize that, you know, uh, something from uh, a social media post or a uh, something that you see online when people see that and they think, well, there's really nothing I can do to help, I, I think there, there's a big truth in the fact that, that people around the planet can make a difference if they're partnered with the right people and they have their heart in the right place now um as long as I've known you I've never really heard the full story of how you got started you've heard how I got started but how can you tell me a little bit about how you got started and then you know what was there a a, a moment in your life or something that triggered um the path that you've you've ended up going down with helping rhinos and everything else that you've done um,
1: yeah, sure. Um, so I guess firstly, our social media manager is going to be delighted, Jeff, that the social media post can have such an impact. Uh, um, so, so I think you know that that's a really valid and important point, and there is something that you know definitely everyone can do. But uh, I, I guess I can't believe I've not shared the whole story with you in the past. So, <laughs> in terms of how we got started, as you say, we working together. Um, over the last six years. But yeah, there was a, a, a specific moment. So I'll, I'll give you the sort of the, the very the brief version, if you like, of how it got started. And as you say, I was working in the corporate world um, for American Express actually for 24 years. Um, and then in 2010, I took six months out, six months, I wish, six weeks out to uh, to go on a conservation project um, in the Eastern Cape in South Africa at a place called the Curica Game Reserve. Uh, and so did six weeks there got to, to you know various different stuff from you know alien plantation control which is basically the non non-ende- removing non-endemic plantation uh-huh. so that the wildlife can thrive and it has the right food sources to uh, to monitoring lion cubs that had just been born to elephant herds and and the bit that stuck with me most given that rhinos always have been my favorite animal was seeing uh, like a one week old rhino calf uh, that that, the mum had brought out into the open plains and we sat for the most magical hour just watching this rhino calf. So that was in 2010 Uh, and then I was actually working in in conservation in the UK, I was volunteering in conservation in my spare time uh, in the UK at a big cat breeding centre. So Uh, That was about two hours drive from where I live. So I was doing that the weekends and on odd days off and such likes. And and I'd actually by now in the middle of 2011, took a sabbatical, uh, a 12 month sabbatical and was working at the Cat Sanctuary full time. Uh, And then it was in the March while I was at the Cat Sanctuary that the Curica Game Reserve had a a pretty bad poaching incident and three rhinos were poached in one night. Uh, And one one bull was found dead in the morning and two amazingly survived um became known as Tandy and Temba and uh, and i think it was at a time where i was thinking actually the sort of the captive animals wasn't quite the the route i wanted to go down in my future life I wanted to do something more with animals in their natural habitat mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I guess this was the trigger. Then there was some point there that says, "Well, actually, I've now got experience of working in the charitable sector in conservation charitable sector. I've got experience of, of you know, uh, senior management within within the corporate world. So I just felt there was I could do more than than I had been doing. Uh, and I think it was then the emotional link to the the site of the, the the you know I could picture exactly where this poaching had happened. Yeah, and it was just okay. That was enough's enough. I need to do something uh and and it was a little bit longer winded than, than okay, again helping rhinos was born but essentially from that helping rhinos was born so it was really that tandy poaching in 2012 which was on the second of march 2012 that that that's really the the sort of the what kick-started me doing something more and, and helping rhinos ultimately being born
0: wow I mean, it- a huge kudos to you for for recognizing the problem and and actually literally changing your life to uh to to make a difference what now what's the the current status of tandy so so
1: as i said there were two rhinos tandy and timber so timber unfortunately only survived for 24 days afterwards and he actually went into a water hole his such a bad wound in his leg, where he'd been wrist laying on the leg, the circulation had stopped, and he just kind of gave up, I guess, after that long, and, and drowned, unfortunately. So, so he didn't survive. But Tandy did survive. And uh, if everyone wants to search, if you if you search on online for Tandy rhino poaching, you'll see some films out there, and and they're, they're not nice images. You see this rhino laying on her side, um, in pools of blood face hacked off and yeah i mean they're horrendous images so
0: brutal
1: the thing to think that i've often said you know if a human had anywhere near that sort of injuries i swear they'd have a heart attack and their body would give up but somehow she pulled through and survived had skin grafts monthly if not more regular vet treatments uh with dr william folds who i know you know relatively well as well jeff and um you know we we've gone on to work with him over the years and tandy survived and and amazingly not only has she survived she's now gone just this year had her fifth calf since the wow. poaching incident um and actually a few days after she gave birth to her fifth calf Tembi, who was her first calf uh gave birth to her second calf so wow. so you know people often questioned how much money was being spent on tandy's treatments and could that money be used elsewhere mm-hmm. uh better used elsewhere for you know boots on the ground and you know etc etc and my answer to that to anybody who questions that is saving that one rhino already has created seven rhinos in this world that wouldn't be here if we had have given up on her and also the publicity that tandy get around the world the awareness that that her case raised the threats of rhinos she was the first time we actually recorded um a poaching survivor and put it out to the world so that really helped awareness uh raising in terms of there so she i think has done a phenomenal job uh, raising awareness and i mean she gives birth more regularly than the rhinos you would normally expect in some we always say somewhere she kind of knows she has a purpose in
0: life Somewhere. i was gonna say yeah she knows she's got a job to do and and yeah. really, you can't put a price tag on on you know these animals they're 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 a living treasure for sure now tandy just just for the people that might want to search that it's t-h-a-n-d-i correct
1: that's right yeah tandy.
0: okay Amazing story, I, I, and and uh, you know I was lucky enough to spend some time with with Dr. Folds here in Arizona uh, when he was here in April, and and to to see and hear the success story there um, is extremely moving. Um, the uh, you know I run into a lot of people that will ask specifically, you know, why why rhinoceros, you know, for peddling against poaching and helping rhinos. So with all the other animals that are are in peril around the world um you know what what, what's your answer when people ask why the rhinoceros
1: I I, I guess there's two things on there and if you mean why me personally rhinoceros um and and I get asked this in in just about every interview that I do and and I really should have learned to articulate the reason why and I guess the reason I haven't is because I just don't know there's something inside that has always been the rhino's kind of a favorite the first time I went to Africa it was the one animal I wanted to see above all others um so so that's kind of you know and then because they are under such threat from poaching you know they are the animal that faces extinction in our lifetime you know so 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 that's for me personally why rhinoceros why should everyone else who doesn't have that sort of somewhere inside them rhinoceros why should we care about whether rhinos go extinct or not so rhinos are what we call an, an eco engineer and an umbrella species so by you know and what that means is they create a habitat and environment for for many other species. So many other species of of plant and animal rely on the rhino and and other eco-engineers such as elephants and such likes, you know, to to survive. So these mega herbivores, they create, um, they create, paths, you know, through through thickets and create open spaces that things like cheetahs then need to be able to hunt, for example, you know, dung beetles, so you can go right from the big, the big rhinos down to the dung beetle that, you know, that need the rhinos to be there to thrive, you know, they're herbivores, so by nature they are e- eating, whether they're black rhinos, is browsers, you know, the white rhinos, grazers, so they're eating um, and then they move on somewhere else and they pull out their seeds and then that germinates growth of fresh vegetation so so their presence on on our planet is is critical for the future of the habitats where they live but also when you think about the type of habitat that they need they're they're great at sequencing carbon out of the atmosphere so they actually help, you know, if we if we could look after the wild spaces that rhinos and, and, and other mega herbivores need to survive, we'd go a long way to addressing issues like climate change, for example, which we know has a direct impact on all of our lives. Um, we're seeing major, you know, major new weather patterns that we won't expect. You know, I, I know, you know, there's wildfires happening, you know, where you are all too regularly, and they get worse every year. We see the same in Australia. Actually, as we sit here today, I've seen the most amazing pictures from South Africa that I've never seen before. And, and much of the country is blanketed in snow. So wow. I'm seeing pictures of lions, rhinos, you know, giraffe in their natural habitat. We've all seen them perhaps in zoos around the world when the snow comes, but in their natural habitat in South Africa and and in, you know, however many inches of snow. Wow. So we we have to work, you know, so keeping animals like rhinos on our planet has a positive impact um, for all of us. And if we lose them, we will all feel that impact in some way, whether direct or indirect.
0: Sure. Now, th- there's been a lot of, of studies and and um, that have proven just what happens to the landscape if the rhinos are removed. I, I think there was a, a a very large section of Kruger, correct me if I'm wrong, but where there were no rhinos for a while and, and the land kind of turned into a wasteland um but then when they were reintroduced uh it it you know nature has a way of of bouncing back uh mm-hmm. so you know there's there's proven uh there's a track record there of of what happens when they're not there and when they are there and it's and it's you know you've got the um the the rhino that's an umbrella species and everything else that counts on them and then of course like you said you know you got the the elephants that have uh, do a little even more work uh on the landscape Uh, so you know they can rip trees out and do do their thing um but so over over the past 10 plus years you've been involved in in many projects from protecting the rhinos to the kind of the um not to overuse the, the the term, but rewilding and and the mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. What can you tell me a little bit about the most important projects that you that are currently underway, and then some of the major accomplishments over the past ten years that um, that that we think we should get out there to let people know about?
1: Yeah, sure. And I guess you have to, to. We need to just kind of put a bit of context to to some of that in the first place. You know, I talk about there being three key threats to rhinos. Um, on our planet so you know the most notable one is poaching It's mm. the immediate one it's the one that's in everybody's face because you know when you see a you know rhino with its face hacked off it's it's incredibly distressing so so you know so there's poaching and that's a big threat um, and has been for the last 15 years um, but there are two other key threats one is loss of habitat and we, you know, we were just talking about the impact yeah. of that and the other is disengaged communities so communities that surrounding areas where rhinos and other key wildlife live you know the typically those communities are not engaged in any in in a mass participation in wildlife conservation and that needs to change these people that live around the wildlife need to benefit from wildlife being there they need to mutually Mm -hmm. wildlife and people need to mutually benefit from uh from that from keeping land wild and you know creating wild spaces yeah so so they're the key three th- three key threats if you like what are we doing about it so our helping rhinos we've got you know matching against each of those our three key strategic visions if you like one is around protecting wildlife and mm. that's anti-poaching patrols that's you know, some of the things that I guess the, the things we've been most notably doing over the last decade um so we're you know we, we we have a number of partners that we're very proudly working with um across Africa at the minute mainly South Africa and Kenya um so we you know some of those projects you said what are, what are we what are we most proud of we work with the black members they're working in the greater Kruger area right. um, Kruger National Park is in the northeast of South Africa and typically um, historically, has been the largest population of rhino uh, in in the world. Uh, more recently, the population in the park has declined quite significantly, and it's now no longer even the biggest population of rhino in the world. So, so we we work with the black members. They were the first all female anti poaching unit in the world. Uh, so they're working and, and have enjoyed huge success in terms of reducing the level of poaching, not just rhino poaching, but poaching generally um in their area of of operation Mm -hmm. in the greater kruger national park so i think you know that that's great that we've been involved with them almost in fact they're celebrating their 10th anniversary this year so we've kind of formed almost the same time and have have grown together Uh, so that that i think is a great something we do in terms of that protecting wildlife we mentioned um uh, william folds earlier who's the, the vet in the eastern cape and i think what that um what we do with him is we actually uh, the sole funder of the Eyes in the Sky program, which is an aerial anti-poaching patrol, and um, so that uses a fixed-wing plane during the day and, and drones, state-of-the-art drones at night, uh, with heat-sensitive cameras and, and such like. So I th- that that is, you know, that's a great that we can have that covering that that um, operation covering the, an area in Eastern Cape. Yes. Uh, and there's many other projects as well. In in Kenya, we work with Ol Pejeta Conservancy, which is home to now the last two northern white rhinos in the world. When we started working with them, we still had three Sudan the male. Maybe if you know if any any of your 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 viewers and listeners have 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 been following any sort of rhino conservation, they probably have heard of Sudan um, as he was the last male northern white. And he Sadly, passed away in two thousand and eighteen of um, well, I'm pleased to their natural causes are not approaching uh, but so the last two northern white which makes them functionally extinct they're actually mother and daughter so now we're looking at how does science help protect and try and bring that species back um, so that they don't go completely extinct but 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 perhaps more importantly than that is the biggest population of eastern black rhino in the world is on our predator. so so working how we can protect that population and you know so Kenya is quite different so um, poaching is less of a problem these days in kenya for a couple of reasons one is the the the, the, the biggest reason I, th- I believe is i believe is that the the population is not as great as in south africa so the poaching syndicates and the gangs will focus more where they're bigger there's more rhinos um but we, that's to say we still have to do a lot of you know s- strong anti-poaching work uh, yeah. but actually lack of habitat is a problem with this population of black rhinos i mentioned you know we're now probably just over carrying capacity at Orpeggetus. So we need to look at how we can bring more land into the conservancy to allow that rhino, what's a very successful rhino breeding program to grow and even repopulate other areas um with with black rhinos as well. So there's a number of other things we work in. I guess the other one we should talk about is the rhino orphanage because everybody likes a cute little baby rhino. So we have and um, we work with a Zululand rhino orphanage uh, in KwaZulu Natal in South Africa and the KwaZulu-Natal is now the new epicentre of rhino poaching. Mm. Uh, the Khrui in Falozi Park is now the biggest population of rhino in the world and like Kruger before it is now the epicentre of, of poaching. So we work at our orphanage facility there is the only dedicated rescue and rehabilitation centre for rhinos in the whole region um, and we're taking rhinos in um, you know, more regularly this year in the last twelve to eighteen months than we've done at any time over the
0: last decade. Yeah, yeah they they um, have definitely uh, got their hands full there at the moment. Now, uh, you mentioned the 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 black mambas, and you know, um, obviously the the uh, the positive effects that they've had over the past few years past 10 years um is is there a plan in place that you know of or that you're allowed to talk about at this point to to scale that up or um kind of use that uh as a blueprint for protecting other areas
1: yeah it's a good question jeff and our, our goal was always to to scale it up and how do we replicate that model elsewhere and, and we've never really managed to successfully do that and i think there's a few reasons for that is one is it works in the area it does because of a few reasons one is because of the area it's in and, and another is because of the, the leadership team um in the likes of craig spencer who founded it you know they're they're, they're com- so committed and dedicated to making that work and i think also communities in different parts of it so we take the the, the ladies all come from the local communities so there's a a strong community element there as well and and the communities and the different cultures within south africa are all slightly different in terms of how women are perceived and and, you know what the what they can do in terms of everyday life if you like um, in terms of becoming heavily involved as an anti-poaching ranger so, so we have to understand the cultural differences. What I think the Black Members is doing though, um, you know, as it's got more more publicity, it, we definitely are seeing more women becoming engaged in conservation activities. So it might not be a, a complete replica of the Black Members model that we have in, in the Greater Kruger National Park, mm-hmm. but but I believe it's helped drive more women getting involved in conservation and more conservation projects wanting to get women involved as well so so i think and we need to continue to look at that so i think it's just having an adaptable approach to it but 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 as we've always said the the women in local communities is probably one of the biggest underused resources in in south africa so how can we utilize those resources we see their passion we see their enthusiasm come out and then they take that enthusiasm and passion back to the communities again Mm -hmm. you know selling the work of conservation there
0: that's what I was gonna say. With with you, the growth of helping rhinos and the Black Mambas come, kind of coming up at the same time, you've you've been there every step of the way. And you know, when you look at the ripple effect of of these women coming home from working in the field uh, and coming back to their communities, and uh, you know the 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 Bush Babies program, which is uh, uh, another um, facet of of the Mambas. You know, focused on education. You know, when you when you see them being able to one, put some of their paycheck back into the community. They get to to talk to the other uh, local folks and let them know why the animals are worth more alive than not. Uh, and and I guess you know, there's probably some uh, aspect of where maybe the people that have grown up in that area are not aware of the the decline in the numbers of rhinos you know someone if you i always pictured it like if a young man is approached by a crime syndicate to 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 be a poacher um you know it feels like they're offered almost life-changing money to go out and score a horn off an animal that they think are abundant you know they may not know just how bad the numbers are but the the bush babies program um uh, that they start uh with education uh very young uh in the schools and all that but do, do they also meet with with the adults uh in the in the areas
1: yeah so so the bush babies d- does as you said starts with the schools and you know and as they over the years they've gone up so we now the bush babies now run a scouts program as well um and and there's a center that that we've built that that the bush babies use if you like and we see adults coming there as well so there is definitely definitely engagement with adults you know and Mm -hmm. and and even even and there is direct engagement with some of the the adults in the communities but but it's certainly that indirect um through the children so there's an Mm -hmm. indirect approach as well and we've seen that through you know surveys being done that we see that the impact of even the black members in the community is much greater where the Bush babies program is operating versus where the Bush babies program is not operating right. so so again that community out, uh, education Outreach within the community is critical not just from an education perspective but also from the trip to knock-on and the ripple effect into the the anti-poaching patrols and and you're right that you know many people have not seen from the you know though they live on the borders they've not uh, of these reserves they've not actually seen the wildlife so part of the bush babies program is you know a number of children we bring into the reserve um, every year and it's done on a sort of reward and recognition over the course of the education program over, over the course of the year. So we bring them into reserve, they camp out in a dry riverbed. you know, they have games and they have fun and there's education and they go on game drives and they get to see elephants and rhinos and, oh. and just to see their faces when they see their first lion or, or elephant or rhino, it's just, you know, it's incredible to see. And you know that at that point, you're actually, you know, you're changing someone's life in terms of the perception of what they have of what's literally on their doorstep.
0: Yeah, and they, and if anybody wants to see some of what Simon's talking about right there, if you go to the Black Mambas' uh, social media on uh, Instagram or or uh, Facebook or even directly, if you Google them and find their website, they they've posted a lot of those videos from these events from the the Bush Babies events and and just kind of their day to day, you know what what these women encounter. They'll they'll do a patrol and find snares that were set for any animal passing by and. You know, just their successes are, are amazing, and and to your point, their leadership team has done a great job of of yeah. uh, of getting them where they are today. Uh,
1: and actually, if the- you go into the Helping Rhinos YouTube page and click on the videos, you'll also find um, a video we put together that's the, the black that features what the black members do. Features Craig, this the founder, uh, two of the black members, and then also the Boost Babies as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's great stuff. Jumping back to one thing you mentioned a minute ago about the the two remaining northern uh white rhinos the uh, how far down the road is is that project before they actually are comfortable enough to risk any of the embryos that are on ice uh with with implant into a, a care a mother that will be a surrogate mother yeah
1: so, so ju- just to give a bit of background on on that, so it's like an IVF program. Um, so it's run by the Bio Rescue Project um, <laughs> uh, and Doctor, uh, sorry, Professor Thomas Hildebrandt, um, based out of Germany. And and so what we do is we've been they've been going in for a number of years and extracting eggs from the two remaining northern white females, um, as you said, and using frozen sperm from the from the from males uh, and creating embryos. Um, and we have into double figures now of pure Northern white embryos. And then the plan is to insert those into Southern white surrogate mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're now at a position where we, obviously we need to go through that process with pure Southern whites as well, because the, the Northern white, as you as you alluded to there, Jeff, the Northern white embryos are, are relatively small in number. We don't, we can't be affording to experiment with those. So we have to get that right with Southern white embryos first to prove whether we can insert those embryos and have them successfully, you know, end up being a calf that's born. So we haven't got to that point yet. There's no real timelines that's publicized uh, yeah. around that. Uh, and I think, you know, the team, rightly so, doesn't want to put pressure on that because if you start putting timelines out there, then, you know, there's a lot of international media intention and, you know, they'll start, you know, we start looking, well, has it failed? Has it not failed? So I think we just right. be, it must be, allow the, the team of experts to go through the process and, and, and hopefully, sooner rather than later we'll be in a position where actually we proved it works with southern whites and then we can can make it work for northern whites
0: yeah obviously a very calculated process on that one because it's it's one of the most valuable uh items you can find on the planet now uh you know when when i first started kind of digging into the projects and i look at the the land um the parts of the land that you're you know, the Rhino Strongholds Project uh, are covering, that's a massive, massive piece of land. I mean, you, if you overlay that over where most people live and you look at it, uh, and then you figure, you look at just what an undertaking that is. Uh, and I guess just to, to back up a little bit, um, there, there's a, a, a very large project that Helping Rhinos uh, has going right now called Rhino Strongholds. And it's um, I'll let Simon talk about it here in a minute, but you know, just to put that into perspective, that the land that is part of that project and the land that is going to be replanted, and uh, you know, we're taking fences down and and all of these different things. If you overlay that over where you live now in London, what what does uh, what does that look like? I mean, is it is it as big as or bigger than where you know?
1: yeah so so it, it's vast i mean just to so, so the rhino strongholds concept which is our our sort of strategic vision is creating these strongholds um going forward so rhinos can thrive in their natural habitat and we have three three key areas that we're focusing on two in south africa and one in kenya Um so if we take the one that i think you're probably most familiar with that maybe um dr will folds was talking maybe spoke to you about um mm-hmm. that area so the idea is that's in the eastern cape in south africa and we're we're focusing on a strip, on uh, just a piece of that. There's a f- rivers that flow through there. There's a, a river called the Bushman's River, and we are trying to link two of our partner reserves together. Uh, uh, you know, that are along the Bushman's River and connect them together. As you say, dropping fences, restoring, reg- um, r- restoring degraded habitat, rewilding it, so mm-hmm. that we can move. It's ideal black rhino habitat. So we want to bring that together, so natural migration can happen. That's part of a bigger picture and vision within the whole Eastern Cape, which which aims to be about the size of um, the size of uh, bigger than Kruger National Park, you know, when that becomes successful. So to give you the idea that Kruger National Park is the same size or or roughly as um, as Wales uh, country here in the the UK, you know, the the bit that's bolted on the left. So, you know, so it's huge. uh, And Mm. Uh, bigger than you know bigger than a city bigger than you know i think bigger than any city in the world i i believe and uh and and so we that's what we want to do we want to start rewilding that so everything we spoke about before and the impacts that that restoring that habitat will have and the positives direct and indirect positives on the world uh will be huge so it's a massive undertaking it's going to take millions tens of millions um at least of dollars to to bring to fruition but we're starting the process now it's a very complicated process uh, but we start it now and we that's that's our goal is we create these habitats where you know then we have to protect the wildlife that's on there we have to manage human wildlife conflict so that so that the local communities are benefiting as well from the land being rewilded not just not just the wildlife that lives on it
0: is there a a process for if a if a, a a parcel of land is turned over and you're you're able to uh, start the replanting of the natural thicket and take down fences and all? Is there a way to protect that from ever becoming a farm again or ever expanding or is it kind of a? Um...
1: Yeah, you can ultimately. So once the land is established, you would um, apply to the government for that to become protected land. Uh, once you get that status from from the government of protected lands, then then it is exactly that it's protected. Right. You know, so a lot of the reserves that we're you know, existing reserves are are operating under that level of protection. You can think it's not quite national park status, but but you know it's along if you think of that as being a protected area of land. So the same sort of thing. So protected nature reserves or protected areas in nature. Mm-hmm. So we can't do that until we've proven it's established. But you know, if we've managed to convert the land from farmland into wild spaces, you know, you've got a period of time to establish that anyway before someone comes back in and tries to turn it into farmland.
0: Sure. And and I mean, it, obviously, one very other, very or another very important part of that is just to be able to reopen historic migration routes for for these animals where they've been fragmented for for so many years now, uh, you know, that it's got, that's got to be a, another huge positive for, for not just the rhinos, but everything that lives there. Um,
1: everything, yeah, definitely. And you think that right now we have to manage, we have, you know, humans have to manage populations of wildlife. So, you know, so take rhinos, but you could argue the same of elephants of lions that, that, you know, if a male becomes too old, normally what would happen is a young male comes in and there's a fight and the young male takes over, yep. uh, especially if you think of a pride alliance that's exactly what happens well when you've got fences up around reserves you know and these are not we're not talking about zoo or safari park fences these are big areas but even so yeah they're, they're managed so you now have to dart that animal um and move it to another location and bring another animal in so you're kind of doing that one natural migration but but not in a natural way and then there's right. risks because you're anesthetizing the animal so dropping the fences connecting all these wild spaces is is Really, um, it, it has to be our goal of where we want to get to.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, or actually, as we start to wrap this up, can you talk a little bit about the different ways that people can get involved? Uh, maybe the best best way to connect with uh, helping rhinos and uh, and see what projects are there, and 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 you know, I know that you have a lot of information on that website of uh, different ways people can help, even wherever they're at. Um can yeah. you talk
1: about that a little bit. Sure. So so first thing I guess is look on our website. Our website is rhinos.org and um, there you'll find all the information about our projects, a lot more about Rhino strongholds. There's links to the films as well. and that we've spoken about. We've got a number of different films that, that highlights our work. Um have a look at social media. Um so we're on all the usual platforms: Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter threads as of uh, as of a couple of weeks ago yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and TikTok as well and um, so that's a good way of keeping up to date. Uh, if, if you follow us, um, I, well by the time you this goes out I guess it, it probably won't be new news but but new news as we're speaking when we record this of just over half an hour ago is news of a new orphan that we've just taken in to, uh, to rescue after her, her mum was poached so so you'll follow our social media for all the latest latest news that's there as well um, and on there you'll see details of uh, events that we're that we're running as well so we are uh, we have a big annual event that's, that's run out of london but is streamed live around the world as well this year that's on saturday the 30th of september uh, our event is called the global gala for rhinos mm-hmm. uh, so i'm guessing yeah, for many of your 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 audience are going to be in the US, so you can you can get a ticket and join us. And this year we're particularly excited. We have a few people from the wildlife television world. Uh, oh, we great. have a, a, quite a well-known UK actor, a big UK actor called Peter Egan, who's joining us as our host. We're also bringing over from Kenya, um, the head of conservation in Alpegita, Samuel Meticia, nice, Um, nice. who will be speaking live on stage, and and also. Louane Mafela, who is the head of the Bush Babies program that we talked oh, about okay. earlier. So we're bringing her over from South Africa and she'll be live on stage talking as well. So um, it's always very entertaining evenings. Um, so so everyone tells us, which is good. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so viewers can hear firsthand and see what we do by by joining the Global Gala for yeah. joining even those online.
0: Those have been great. And it sounds like you've got uh, an even bigger one planned for this year, which is awesome. Now I know we're we're kind of running out of time now but I you know Simon I think um I think we we still have a lot more to talk about and this 40 minutes really flew by so um you know I'm I'm going to hit you up again here soon to uh to do another episode where we can maybe get into more details on on some of the specifics of the projects that are going on out there. One you know I need to commend you on on everything you've done uh with helping rhinos um and you know if I hadn't if I hadn't stumbled onto your Helping Rhino's website, I, I wouldn't have been uh, pulled down the path that I've gone down with with pedaling against poaching and, and all the other stuff. So, you know, huge thank you for, for joining us today. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and, and looking forward to, to more. Uh, and at the tail end of this video, I will have links and uh, details on how to get to all of the Helping Rhino social media and other other ways to connect and see what's going on um having said that i guess uh simon i'll let you uh, return to your evening there until we can have you on again
1: thanks jeff and thank you thank you for having me on thank you for your support over the years with peddling against poaching um and yeah i'm more than happy to come back and talk talk about the projects in more detail so let's just just make a plan
0: all right we will do that soon thank you for listening through raising awareness, education and compassion, we hope to bridge the gap between species in need, conservation organizations that are making an impactful change for our world, and like-minded supporters who use their voice to advocate for wildlife. To learn more, please visit allaboutanimalsradio.com and pedalingagainstpoaching.com. Also like to give a huge shout out and thank you to Michael Wilbur of the band Moonhooch for the theme music. Check them out at moonhooch.com.